Hello and welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Sandra Lewin and I am your host. I'm on a mission to make insurance a career choice, not a chance. Together with my amazing guests, we are sharing our career stories, tips and insights into work life and insurance in hope to inspire diverse talent to join and remain within the industry. The insurance profession is changing, so it couldn't be a better time to showcase the fantastic women across the insurance market. Let's jump into today's episode. Malena, welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. I am so happy you're here. Um, for those that don't know you, please introduce yourself and tell us where you are as well at the moment. <laughs> Thanks, Sandra. I'm really pleased to be here. And um, yes, I'm joining from Brussels because I sit as the head of EU affairs for the Danish Insurance Association um, that represents Danish insurers and pension companies. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So, as you know, I always start this podcast with a question, a career in insurance, choice or a chance? And tell us about that entry into insurance. Yeah, it's. I have to disappoint because it was a little bit by chance. <laughs> I know you're looking for women who chose it. I want to say, please choose a career here, but I landed a little bit by, by luck. Um, I started out studying, my undergraduate was an accounting degree with accounting and finance as a, fun, as a sort of focus. Um, and through that, I had the luck of having a fantastic uh, legal professor or, le- or lawyer who was teaching the company law sections of the accounting degree. And on the back of that, I really got quite interested in company law particularly. And I knew I wanted to stay sort of in the business sphere. Mm. Um, so I continued my accounting degree and sort of as the years passed on, I realized, no, I want to do the switch. Um, and as you know, in the UK, it's really flexible, you know, in terms of education, you can do the switch. Um, at the time when I did it, you did a conversion course to then get an equivalent to an LLB degree. And I did that. Um, after doing a master's and um, and really got into law that way. And um, in terms of coming into insurance, it was a little bit by luck because my first uh, job ended up being with a UK trade credit insurer. Um, Allianz Trade is called now. It was mm-hmm. at the time called uh, Eula Hermes. Um, and through that job, really, I was able to get a training contract because at the time as well, you had to get a training contract um, to become a solicitor. Um, and I joined Kennedy's, uh, which is a, a law firm that really has a lot of presence in the insurance uh, world. Yeah. Um, and did my training contract there and really enjoyed it. So I, I got into insurance a little bit by luck, but it was knowing that I wanted to stay in sort of the business sphere and obviously coming with an accounting degree as a background. Um, And then really since then, it's just progressed. I've stayed in insurance for the reasons we'll then discuss later. (laughs) And that's really interesting because what I often talk about is, um, you know, how do you transition from one to another and how do you make a choice? And I would would love to hear a little bit more. What was your uh, process thinking, you you know, you did a degree in accounting and then you go, actually, no, I'll do the conversion to legal. Uh, um, And then... You, by chance, care about insurance, but then you kind of go, mm, this is interesting. What were those stages? Were you, what were you thinking at that stage? And kind of where did the confidence come from? Because I think a lot of people get um, stopped and like, well, I've gone accounting now, so I can't really make that change. You know, how has that worked for you? Well, I think with everything in life, um, 
you can have sort of long-term goals and ideas about where you want to go. But ultimately, you're a little bit dependent on luck and meeting the right people. Um, as I said, I was really lucky. The law professor we had um, in accounting was really supportive because I did um, quite well in the law subjects. Mm. Um, so he was willing to put his name to supporting my application for an LLM. And on the back of that, then it gave me the entry to know, okay, this is where I want to go and I enjoy it. And then commit to obviously the significant cost it is to do um, mm. a conversion degree. Um, so it, it is a little bit luck that people have supported. In terms of confidence, I think some of it is probably youth, that you're optimistic and you don't see any hindrances. You don't see any <laughs> possibility of anything failing. Um, and then I think it's just when you really want something, you somehow make it happen. You know, it's um, it, when you really believe in something, you really, yeah, it just tends to work out, is my experience. Yeah, that's that's actually very true. And, and I think... Uh, Opera had this quote where she said, the, the hardest thing about achieving your dreams is knowing what you want. So, and, and like really knowing, because once you know exactly what you want, you will make it happen. The problem is a lot of people think they know what they want, but it's not uh, kind of detailed enough or not focused enough for you to make that change. Um, I mean, talk me through your career then. So how did you get to where you are right now? There's a specific, uh, special element there where I found it very interesting about, uh, you know, how you worked in Brussels, but as well, you moved around to different countries. And so there are quite a few people in insurance who have the legal background and they, they're thinking, where do I take this career. So when you're talking us through your career and your various changes throughout this, if you can talk a bit about how your skills trans translate into another job, that would be really interesting to hear. I think as you can hear, my accent is a bit of a mix of everything. <laughs> so I started out, I was born in Brussels in Belgium to Danish parents and went through schooling in Danish um, and then moved to, to Denmark briefly. Wasn't to Strack wanted to move on and moved to Edinburgh and did my degree there. Um, and then I moved down to London, obviously, to start my career when I started working after my uh, my studies. Um, and then I've moved back to Brussels again because I knew even when I was doing my accounting degree that going back to Brussels would be quite a nice um, ending point for me. But exactly how that would happen, I obviously didn't know. Um, so I think in that sense, that's what I mean with you can have sort of long term goals, but you don't know exactly when or how they're going to happen. But if you have some pointers that that I think helps to get to them um, in terms of the career. I mean, I've because I started out in insurance, it's sort of one job came on the back of the other, because obviously the experience you gain in one job is usable by a new employer. And that's exactly what happened to me. I'd got my first um, job as a legal assistant at Eula Hermes or Alliance Trade. Um, and on the back of that, I was able to secure a training contract with Kennedy's because they obviously had an interest in somebody who had some experience of insurance um, and also understood how insurance companies work. That's ultimately the clients they have. Um, I then moved on to another law firm afterwards before moving to Brussels. And when I decided that uh, we wanted to move back to Brussels, um, really for personal reasons, we had had our first child and, and wanted to, to have more time, to be honest. Um, I knew that the, the, the sort of target for employment would be Insurance Europe, which is a fantastic organization um, in Brussels, which represents insurers and reinsurers um, in Europe. Um, so I knew this was where I wanted to go to work, um, obviously expanding what my work would be because I would be moving from doing, you know, litigation work or, or, or really pure solicitor work for insurance clients in London to moving and having much more of a European uh, angle to my work. 
Um, and I was lucky again that, you know, I, I secured a job with Insurance Europe in Brussels and then worked there for almost 12 years before moving recently to a consultancy in Brussels to try out the different way of working. Um, and then again, a little bit by luck, the Danish Insurance Association member of Insurance Europe, uh, Forsikring a Pension, FNP, um, sort of we had a little chat about that they were thinking about expanding their presence in Brussels a bit more. Um, I have a colleague now who used to travel back and forwards, but it's difficult to come in and out of Brussels sometimes. So they decided internally that perhaps they wanted to have a bigger presence here. And by luck, I had lunch with a colleague, uh, now a colleague, but a, a colleague before in my function at Insurance Europe. And she mentioned this and I said, well, if, I mean, if there's interest in my profile, by all means, give me a call, you know. So things happened very quickly back in August. Um, and obviously that was a good fit because I know how Insurance Europe works. FNP wanted to have more of a presence here. So it was, um, so I've moved to FNP uh, just starting on the 1st of January this year. That's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned luck quite a lot, but I think mm -hmm. there is also an element of network and knowing people, but also putting yourself out there because I've sat in the past at many lunches of coffees and people literally put a job, like amazing job offer in front of you. They're talking to you that they need the skill, they need the, and I've sat there going, oh my God, I'll be so perfect for it, but I don't say it. Right. I don't say it out loud. I'm just sitting there going, oh, it sounds so good, but I'm not going to, you know, this is not the moment. And actually, I've, I've spoke sort of over time. I've learned that it's not in these kind of situation is because I used to think, oh, it's a bit cringy to say how amazing I am and I'll be perfect for that job. They are looking for someone that has a skill. And as you said, you've learned that skill throughout the time. So actually, but you saying, hey, I can do it. Not only you know me, so you know the way I work, but also I have the skill that you need. So we're helping each other. And I, and I thought, actually, if you start thinking that way and you start putting yourself out there, start thinking about the network, you know what you want, listen to what options are out there. There is an element of luck. Certainly, you had to actually get that lunch at that time. Yeah. But there's also an element of you putting yourself out there, isn't it? I think so. I think, and that's obviously easier the longer through your career you get, you know, if, if you're starting out in your career, it's difficult to know what is it I can bring or where is it I have strengths compared to others. But I think the more you get through your career, the more comfortable you become about what it is you can do and what perhaps you have gaps in. So you can have a much more open conversation about where you can fit in and what you can contribute with. Um, and I think really when when you have opportunities, first of all, remember to listen to them and notice them mm. because that's the, that's the point you say as well. Like, do you even react quickly enough to it? Um, and, you know, things aren't done overnight. You know, sometimes walk away and then take contact again with the person if you hear opportunities. Um, but I agree completely. Make sure you have um, a good network and don't have networks in silos. So the danger for me would be to sit only with insurance contacts and only with insurance colleagues. But it's good to have colleagues in other in Brussels, in other federations, for instance, um, or, or with people that work in very different um, walks of life, because you get ideas and you hear things. It's um, for for me, it's about constantly learning and hearing. Okay, what's happening? What making you think? I think that's such a valid point because, um, so 
one of the stigmas that I think happen in insurance is that you get on one career trajectory and that is all your contacts, all your people are within that. Um, and, you know, say I start with, with an ops and the only people I know are operations people, right, for example. Uh, or I start with compliance and the only people I know is compliance. And actually... You're right. It's if unless it's so important to get to know people in other areas because you don't know where where it will come back. What can you learn? Where can you transfer your skills? Because sometimes, you know, you think you're on the right path, or you think this is where your skill set is, but actually, your skill set can be very useful in another area that you can learn another country, another organization. Um, I think that's a really, really key point. Is don't just stay in your lane when it comes to your networking actually mm-hmm. find other people around you um definitely definitely gonna and i want to i know you're very um uh keen on promoting a sort of advocate of encouraging people to be in insurance and actually making that transition and thinking out of the box of what else can you do but before we go into it i was very interested in the insurance europe and when we spoke the first time preparing for this podcast I find it uh, quite fascinating. Under the Brexit program, when I was part of Lloyd's, I got to spend quite a bit of time in Brussels. And it was always really, for me personally, it was always interesting to see all these, you know, EU kind of main bodies and, and European main bodies in one place. And you really got to meet fascinating people throughout this. So tell me a bit more about Insurance Europe and, and kind of your role there and you know, to me, it's kind of like you were, when we were talking about it, is you were educating what insurance is. And the way do you disc- the, explain insurance to me, you would think I'll know insurance. The way you did it, it was so simple. <laughs> and it was like, everyone needs to start quoting this now. <laughs> I wish I'd written down what I said to you, know. <laughs> it's fine. You don't have to explain insurance. But, but more, what I found fascinating is that, uh, again, it's just a very different career path, uh, you know, that not maybe everyone knows about and 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 can think um about transitioning into so insurance europe and uh, fnp my current employer who's a member of insurance europe fnp is equivalent to the abi in the uk so it's the national insurance association um and the work really is focused on uh, looking after the interests of insurance companies and reinsurance companies in europe um, and how we do that is really with engaging with European policymakers, whether it's at the Commission, the European Parliament, or through the national member states' representations for the Council. Um, so the process is really to be involved in when we start hearing about legislative proposals coming on the table, to try and see what would the impact be for the sector. Do we need to react? Are there concerns we need to flag? Um, in my experience, there's often been issues about that there's a misunderstanding about what insurance is, private insurance. And of course, the insurance markets are very different throughout the, the EU or Europe. Um, but fundamentally, um, I find, and I think a lot of colleagues in, in, in the world um, of insurance here would agree, is that often there's a misunderstanding. Well, if we do, for instance, uh, mandatory insurance at European level, then there'll be this coverage. But they won't because it's a private product. And we often have to explain in order to have insurance, you need to first of all have a demand either from the consumers or from the business world that they need this product. And then it has to be a product that you can actually price, which means you require data that's accurate and up to date. And you need to be able to make a profit margin out of it because ultimately the insurance companies are companies. 
Um, so there are a lot of things that have to come together in order for insurance products to be available on the market. And that's an aspect that we often have to discuss um, with EU policymakers who perhaps come with a non-insurance background. Um, similarly, we see that often when we're looking at uh, legal um, proposals or legislative proposals, there's an assumption that um, if we look after consumers, then we'll have a very good outcome. But the difficulty again is we're talking about a product on the market. So looking after consumers sometimes can make it very difficult for insurance companies to, to step in and, and do so. So we often have um, conversations about we also, as insurance sector, want to look after consumers. They are our customers. We want to have products that are wanted, that are desirable, and, and that people want to purchase. Um, but there has to be a balance so that it's something that's workable, because ultimately it is a private product. And that's a discussion we often have to have. Um, then, of course, now there's all the, the developments that are happening. I mean, the focus, every time we have a new commission coming in, there's a different focus of, of policy, you know, whether it's uh, a focus on we want to, to protect consumers. At the moment, it's very heavily, obviously, on the climate risks and the risks that come from that um, and digital risks as well, because that's something that we see um, really impacting the general population and, and general business community. It's really, um, really interesting. And I think it's it's a very different from what I've sort of experienced a very different type of role and very different skill set as well right because you are um, one you're actually educating but also you're making sure that sort of from legal and regulatory perspective things are correct so it's a it's a it's a mix of skills isn't it and it's a it, it's a mix of abilities to be able to network communicate clearly but also be able to understand and um, sort of and, and be able to translate complex uh, policies, complex uh, regulatory requirements into the language that can be spoken on a day to day basis, which I think is quite a skill in itself. I mean, you, as, as we've said, you are a big advocate of encouraging people to not kind of get stuck in in one career path and and you know really thinking about your needs and desires. And we spoke about it briefly when, when you've mentioned your career journey. There is um, a lot of uh, people that I speak to, you know, they 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 feel it's not right where they are, um, but they don't really know what is the skill. And that it tends to be more at the beginning of a career, the first few years in the career. Like what is really the skill, how they can put that skill into use, how they can identify. What advice would you give to someone that's sitting there and going, it doesn't feel right. I know I like insurance, but what I'm doing is just not feeling right. How do they identify what else is out there? How do they identify what they're good at? I think you're touching on something that's obviously to do not just with specifically is it insurance or not, but more yeah. sort of career-wise. And I think I've really, the older I've become, the more I'm a subscriber to this idea that you have to find your little tribe. We're all different. We're all motivated by different things. We work in different ways. We react to things in a different way. And I think try, if you're starting out in your career, try and spot those people that are perhaps further along the career path that you feel comfortable speaking with and hear how their journey has been, hear what they like and what they don't like about their jobs, what the challenges are, what the opportunities are. Because the more you speak with others, the more you get ideas and then you'll feel where something rings a bell for you and that's something you recognize as, as could be interesting for you or not. But I think have a mindset of speaking with, with colleagues I think that's a good point. Someone said to me a long time ago that if you have a, 
a boss or a colleague or a client that you don't particularly get on with, look out for what is it that you don't get on with them, because that will actually make you think, okay, how do I want to come across? What what am I do's and don'ts kind mm-hmm. of and as well if you look at someone and you think well you know I I may not agree with how they're doing but look their career is really working they you know it's, it's quite aspirational of how they grow in in their career look for the cues how are they doing it and what is it can you put your own style onto the process they're doing so I completely agree um looking at how people are doing doesn't mean you have to do it the same way but it does give you the kind of uh, boundaries of where and how you want to go. But I think in, in that sense, I think all our careers are going to be different because we're yeah. all individual. We're all mm. ex- like we're exceptional because there's nobody else like us. So it's more about seeing what for you resonates and, 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 and find your path because I think we all agree we cannot be liked by everybody. We have to find those that, that think we have something to offer. And when you do that, you're lucky. You, you know, you find your little tribe. That I think that's what I mean when I say I'm more and more believer of this, that, you know, sometimes it's just it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And that's okay, too, because yeah. we all find our little, a li- our little tribe or a little pack. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. And I always say, you know, people do like talk about themselves. So if you reach out to anyone and go, I find your career really interesting or the company you're working for, I think is really interesting. Can you grab 30 minutes with me online in person uh, and just tell me about your journey? I think, I mean, I've done this for the past two years, just contacted people thinking, oh, this is so cool. I didn't know <laughs> people can be doing it I'll use LinkedIn. And I would say 90% of people come back to me and go, yeah, sure. Let me tell you my story. And then some of them, you know, we stayed in touch and they opened some doors or connected me to another person. I think recently in um, uh, one of the podcasts that I've recorded, it's I think it's just gone live as we're recording this one. Uh, <laughs> someone said that they had a great advice. They said, when you meet someone, ask them to introduce you to one more person. And it's the fastest way to grow your network because then you go for a coffee with that person and you say, can you introduce me to someone else that you think I'll find interesting? And you just keep on going, Um, which I thought was was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't used that, but it's a good idea. (laughs) What, What have you used to connect and find people? Because you moved countries as well, right? So, uh, and I know... There are people out there, and, and including me, like I've always been fascinated about moving countries how, during your career. How do you build your network? What were your kind of tricks and tips? <laughs> I think integrate in the local community. You know, when I studied, I studied with a lot of Scots. I, I mixed with them. My husband ended up being a Scottish man. Um, so integrate. I'm not saying you have to marry wherever you go. <laughs> I'm just saying that was my example. <laughs> But integrate, be 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 with the the local people, so you get to know the culture and and hopefully the language, you know, and you understand. We in all countries we have differences of of conduct and expectations and how we work, you know. Um, learn it so that you fit in more easily and you understand it and accept that we're different. It's uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, it is, and and you can learn so much, isn't it? Are there any? business cultural so let's not and I appreciate always these questions are fairly stereotypical um but but just in the in the general are there any 
significant business changes that you differences that you would see between how business conducting in Brussels or versus uh, Scotland, for example? Because mm. you would think there aren't any because we are in Europe, and you know. But would you say there are significant business uh, any items that are significantly different? Brussels is really a melting pot of everything and everyone. <laughs> Yeah. We, we come from all corners of the EU and Europe and the world. So it, Brussels is a really bad example. It's sort of, True. Um, I, I think that's what a lot of us stay in Brussels for. It's so flexible. It's a bit like London. Um, but I think in terms of differences, yes, of course, there are cultural differences between the colleagues you work with that um, you know that some some prefer, you know, having a little introduction in their in their own language because that's just the politeness that that we we make an effort for each other. Um, some cultures are perhaps more hierarchical uh, than others. Some are perhaps more uh, pragmatic and consensus seeking um, in trying to move um, issues forward. So yes, there's definitely differences, but I think. And that's why integrating, you pick up these differences. And I think that helps you when you work in an international environment. That's actually a very good point because it is around understanding. And we all have to balance that yeah. culture when you're working. But I do remember when uh, the Brussels office opened for, for Lloyd's, called Lloyd's Europe now. I remember, you know, there was maybe, say, 20 people at the beginning or whatever. And like they already had 17 countries, I think, within that, like pretty much, you know. And I, I remember walking through that office and thinking, this is what a true international business looks like. And someone from Brussels explained to me, yeah, but you walk into pretty much any company and it's like that. And I thought it's really fascinating, actually, to see. You, you think living in London, I would be used to it. But mm -hmm. the scale that you get in Brussels is is. It's very different because maybe because it's uh, kind of much more condensed. I don't know. In, in, but um, yeah, that's that's something actually, if anyone is interested in in, in experiencing an international, uh, truly international kind of community. Um, yeah, Brussels is a, it's a definitely a, a location to, to look into, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It really is. But I think that's true here, the offices, you know, most especially when you're talking sort of the Brussels bubble where we're working, you know, on the back of the work that's being done by the by the EU policymakers. It is really international. You know, there's, there is, as you say, all nationalities represented. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, I mean, I've really um, enjoyed our conversation and, and thinking about the various aspects. I always... Um, ask this question to find out what have you been able to experience thanks to insurance that you wouldn't have otherwise? Well, I've given it a little bit of thought, you see. <laughs> I tried to. I think, um, I think in terms sort of professionally as a career, I think there's so much variety in the work you do, especially coming with the legal background into it and doing the work we do, because as I mentioned before, whatever comes out from EU policymakers is what we're reacting to and, and taking a stance on. So, you know, the focus will change from, from year to year or at least from mandate to mandate. Um, so in that sense, it's been really interesting and varied. Um, and then I think it's just, it's fantastic to be working in a sector where you're representing a really good product <laughs> mm. because it's a product that really facilitates so much that we take for granted. You know, I think from my personal life, I've taken a mortgage 
marriage on because I did, because I have life insurance that covers my family if something should happen to me. You know, for businesses, they dare perhaps expand because they can take insurance to protect the, the facilities they have. It's it's so much that's enabled and facilitated because we have an insurance product that can step in. Um, so I think that's that's a wonderful thing. And then I think in insurance, it always uh, amazes me when you speak to colleagues how um, have sort of enthusiastic colleagues are about insurance. Um, I've worked on a lot of different areas of insurance, like motor insurance and, um, you know, legislative really like uh, supervisory authority rules. And in every sort of specific area, colleagues are really enthusiastic about what they're doing and, and how how we impact the, the general world or, or the, the general everyday life. That's that's amazing that yeah that human connection variety and and actually as you said being part of people's lives on a daily basis isn't it which great great way of doing it well I really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much for joining me here um I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you know where your career takes you next and <laughs> um you know it's it's been it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you this morning thank you very thank much thank you very much thanks Sandra Thank you for listening to today's episode. Help me to share these stories with as many people as possible by rating the podcast and sharing episodes on your social media platforms. Remember, this is a podcast for you, so your opinion matters to me. If you have any recommendations on comments, please get in touch. Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media at 100 Women in Insurance to find out about the upcoming releases, guest spotlights and top career tips. See you in the next episode.